Amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you uh, grab a seat, grab a Bible, Luke chapter 2. If you need a Bible, you'll find one under one of those seats nearby you. Uh, the book of Luke is the third into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're in the second chapter uh, today. Uh, so much of the Christmas story, is re- it's literally remarkable. It's miraculous. But there's something about, like, within our humanity, when we grow familiar with the remarkable, we can just kind of read right past it, and it loses some of the, like, awe it once had the first time we heard it. Um, there's a couple points in the uh, Christmas story that should literally, like, stop us in our tracks. That if we were uh, telling the story of the birth of Christ to someone who has never heard it, they would, they would stop us at points, raise their hand, and go, hold on you got to unpack that more for me. Things like he was born of a virgin. Someone hearing the Christmas story for the first time would want to raise their hand and say, you probably got to double click on that one for me, right? Uh, Things like he was laid in a manger. He was laid in a feeding trough. That's something that like we, as we, uh, you know, if we've grown up in church anytime at all, you just kind of grow used to some of this stuff. There's another part in the Christmas story where I want to focus today that I think is absolutely remarkable. And it comes in the Christmas story when it says, And there were shepherds in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Not super out of the norm for the area of the world Jesus was born in. Here's the super out of the norm thing. And an angel appeared to them. To shepherds. What do shepherds do? What do shepherds do? They watch sheep. Now, let's give them a little more credit than that. They drive sheep to a place that the sheep can eat. They stand in protection and guard the sheep so they're uh, not uh, killed. But when we were in Israel a couple years back, uh, we would come to different biblical sites, and there'd be shepherds in the field. And for most of their day, they have a staff. They lean on the staff, and they watch sheep all day. And then if you don't get the sheep back to a sheep pen at night, you watch sheep all night. And so you can, you can imagine the level of excitement in the life of a shepherd is when there's some wrestling in the bushes over there and they're wondering what's coming out to try to eat one of their sheep. But most days you stand and watch sheep. And then for these shepherds on this night, Verse 8, Luke 2, verse 8, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. What does that mean? What does it mean that the glory of the Lord shone around them? I have no idea, but I want to know what that would mean. This is one of the parts in Scripture that was like, I would give anything to have been one of the shepherds in the sheep field that night. They're out there, and all of a sudden, tonight is not like any other night that they've ever experienced. They're there, it's dark, they're with the sheep, they're watching, they're dozing off, they're, they're, they're doing whatever, and then boom, all of a sudden, angel of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord shines around them, and it says at the end of verse 9, and they were filled with great fear. I would think so. When we see the glory of the Lord show up and manifest his presence, it invokes fear. But the angel says, verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people 
More on that at the Christmas Eve service this week. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now imagine what this next sentence would have sounded like to these shepherds. We, we hear it and we're like, yeah, totally. That's how Jesus came. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's normal. Lying in a manger. Translation, lying in a feeding trough. They're going like, how do we know? How do we know which one's the Savior? Okay, here it is. You're going to find a newborn baby. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. And he's going to be laying in a feeding trough. You'll know. And suddenly, boom, if that wasn't enough, you're watching sheep another night. Angel of the Lord appears. He tells you this baby, the baby, has been born. And now, and suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I find it remarkable that this cosmic worship scene unfolds over shepherds watching sheep. Not in the palace, not over the elite of society. The announcement comes to shepherds watching sheep. I want to do today is I want to unpack just this one verse, verse 14. It was read in our Advent reading, but I want us to take the two parts of this and understand what happens every single year for us, Christmas rolls around. And and Christmas is full of all sorts of awesome things. Um, family comes together. I mean, I'm looking out here and I'm seeing family members from all different parts of the country are here. There's something about Christmas that brings us back together and it's sweet. We exchange gifts and it's sweet. All of these things are awesome, but you all know there's something about the pace of Christmas and all of this that, allow, that, that, can, that can take our eyes away from the glory of it all. I mean, I, as soon as this sermon's done, we're going to sing the closing song. I'm going to hop in a 2012 Toyota Sienna, and we're going to drive four and a half hours north to Michigan. We're going to do Christmas with my family there, and we're going to get back in the van, and we're going to drive four and a half hours south for Christmas Eve services here. And we'll probably watch the Polar Express nine and a half times <laughs> between there. Like there's something about, like it's awesome, but the pace of it all allows us just like where we got to go next, what do we got to get in the oven now, what do we got to do now, and I'm praying today, well, that means slow down, and we'll see the glory of it all. You with me? So what does this mean? Why why, Why are these the words the angel and the heavenly host utter over the shepherds? keeping watch over their flocks by night. Let's unpack it in its two parts. With the coming of Christ, there is first, glory to God in the highest. The first thing, and I think the order of this is important, the first thing the heavenly hosts say is glory to God in the highest. In response to this baby, the baby, Laying in a feeding trough just within the village limits, the heavenly hosts start to proclaim. They're praising God and saying, glory to this God who is in the highest heaven. Now, what is glory? 
if you've grown up in church at all, this is one of those things, it's always so helpful sometimes, especially parents, for those of you who, like, you can't remember the day you didn't, you weren't in church. I find it so helpful when my four-year-old comes up and says, Daddy, what's gospel? I'm like, okay, gotta unpack this to a four-year-old. Or, Daddy, what's glory? Okay, how do we unpack that? to a little kid. What is God's glory? We talk about it all the time. We talk about living for God's glory. We talk about glorifying God. We see it all throughout scripture. The hard thing with the word like glory is you can't just flip open Webster's and go glory. Definition, boom. It won't, it won't, it doesn't encapsulate that. The glory of God, and Joe read a lot of this last week as he was preaching, is trying to get at the majesty, the wonder the splendor, the power, the brightness, the radiance, the renown, the prestige, the greatness. It's trying to get at the fullness of who God is. And there's no one, there's no one with that kind of fullness other than God. Glory is exclusively God's. Come on, come on, church. Glory is exclusively God's. There's no one else who gets glory. We try to rob it. Others can try to rob it, but glory is only the Lord's. And it's so important that we see this. So why? Why does the multitude of the heavenly hosts with the birth of Jesus coming exclaim, glory to God in the highest? Because this baby laying in that manger is the fulfillment of, of all of the prophecies of Old Testament of the coming Messiah. The plan of redemption is in full force. The God-man has come to earth. The Savior King has come to earth. Born of a virgin, going to live a sinlessly perfect life, going to die a criminal's death on a cross, going to be buried in a tomb, three days later going to rise victoriously from that death, and he will live again, and then he will ascend back to the throne of splendor in which he came. And the, the multitude of the heavenly hosts, with the ushering in of this plan of redemption of heaven meeting earth, are just shouting, glory to God in the highest. And so, I just want to ask us something on, with a couple days leading up to Christmas. The heavenly host in this first Christmas are exclaiming, God gets all the glory. Uh, scripture tells us creation cries out the glory of God. My question for us is, does our life shout the glory of God? Now, we don't make God glorious. God doesn't need our help at all to be glorious. You with me? He is glorious. Our life is to be lived in response to his glory. We say this around here all the time because I never want us to lose sight of it. You are upright and breathing another day for one driving purpose, and it is to glorify God. How do we do that? We do that when our life conforms to what he's given us in this sweet word. Do not see. Some of y'all who might be back, who've grown up in church, and you're only at church here today because you're back by mom and dad, and mom and dad go to church, so you got to go to church today too. You're like, wow, how do you know? I know. There was that part of my life too. Hear me. 
When you live your life in conformity to this book, Christianity isn't just rote rule following. If all you saw it as growing up was just rote rule following, just follow the rules, just follow the rules. No, it's not that. It's a relationship with a Savior who has died for you and you live out the purpose of your existence when your life conforms to what God has given you here and you know the joy and the peace in your heart when you do and God gets glory out of your life and when God is getting glory out of your life, you get joy. I want you to get that. Do not boil Christianity down it's just some like rote rule following, be a good person. It is so not that and is so better than that. And God wants his glory from your life of you living in response to the fact that he is God in the highest. There is no one higher than him. And so how does God get glory? God gets glory when we're redeemed and then when we're radiating. God gets glory when we're redeemed. All of us in this room are absolutely hopeless and utterly broken in our sin. All of us in this room have sinned against the holy God. And I, I have never, in all the times I've shared the gospel, I've never had to take too long to convince people of that. When you explain what sin is, they're like, uh, yeah, I mean, peg me, right? We're broken in that. We're lost in that. But God, out of his love for us, this baby is laying in a manger because he's going to go to a cross and he's going he's to overcome death. He's going to ascend to heaven and he invites us into relationship. We come into relationship through faith. The moment we believe, we're redeemed. And then as redeemed people, as people of the kingdom, we then radiate what God created man and woman to radiate. God made man and woman in his image. We are image bearers of God, and we're to spread out all over this globe and radiate the image of God to this world. How are we glorifying God in word and in life? Now, the question it seems pretty obvious answer, and there is an obvious answer, but I think it's important to take it one step farther than we often do is this. Why does God get glory? Why, why, does, he, why does he get glory? And the answer is because he is God. And now we all kind of, when you say that in church, people are like, yeah, totally, I get that. When you say that to people uh, who aren't in church, like, why does he get glory? Well, because he's God. Yeah, but, but tell me more. As God, he is the God of this. Glory to God where? Glory to God, what's it say at the very first line of verse 14? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Why does he get glory? Because he's the highest. And the highest gets the glory. If glory is the splendor and the wonder and the power and the brightness and the radiance and the renown and the prestige and the, and the greatness, if the glory is the fullness, there is no one who has more of that than God. He created it. It was all created for him. It's all being held together by him, and it's all for his glory. And we, as part of this creation, do everything for the one who's the highest and the one who gets all the glory. Now, there are times, because we're human, 
we lose sight of who is ultimately the glorious one. And we begin to look at other less glorious things as if they're really glorious. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, we were driving, I don't know, a week or so ago, two weeks ago, and I, le- I love this season because there's some houses who can do Christmas light stuff that I could only dream about and like I could never pull off. And we were coming down a road and uh, Polar Express was on the van TV for the 972nd time. There's a, there's a part, with, part with our DVD. Um, it skips. It like just freezes and skips. Erica took the older two boys on a little uh, mommy Sunday to the art craft down in Franklin, and it came to that part, and it didn't skip. And they're like, it was like they they just thought it was part of the movie. They're like, whoa, whoa, what's this? What's what? You're supposed to skip on the train part right here. Um, and um, so it's on like that's all they watch right now. And I'm like, guys, 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 up here, out Trey's window. Look, 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 look. And they're just like. And, I, like, we drive by. Their eyes don't leave the screen. Their mouth, like, drool coming out of it. We go past it. And I'm mad. Like, I'm mad. You know? You know when you saw something and no one else could share in it with you? I'm, I'm literally, I was literally, like, agitated. I was saying inside, man, back when I was a kid, mid-90s, you just had to look out the window for entertainment. Y'all got Polar Express everywhere we go. And I'm like, I'm agitated. They could not get their eyes off the screen because they were so captivated by something they thought was awesome and they missed something that was way more awesome. And I was driving down the road, agitated, thinking, you know, you know what? There's no more, there's no more, no more, no more movies in the van. Like, this is going to be family time. And then we're doing a four and a half hour drive, like in 30 minutes, and I'm like, there's definitely going to be movies in the van. Um, but I, it got me thinking, how often, teachable moments with your kids, right? How often am I enamored or fixated on something that I think is awesome? I'm captivated by something I think is awesome, and I completely miss what is truly awesome. Let me give us some examples from life. To the grown man, and trust me, this hits close to home, okay? To the grown man who can shout and jump and act like a fool on a Saturday afternoon for a college football game, but just sleepwalks through a worship service of the gathering with the saints on a Sunday morning. I'm telling you, that's someone who is enamored by something that is far less glorious. To the woman who can drive down 65 here and just be so excited to get off at that Edinburgh exit, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I can't wait. The deals. But I got it on clearance. Quick story, off script. Erica's always so pumped to show me what she got on clearance. She came home from Target one day, and she's like, guys, look what I got. And she didn't say it, but my four-year-old's like, mommy, did you get it on clearance? I'm like. (laughs) So the woman who can feel so much excitement and anticipation getting off at the Edinburgh exit and walking out to the outlet mall, but, but feels nothing in the gathering of the saints of the worship of Christ. I'm telling you, 
We are people who settle to be enamored and captivated by far too weak of stuff. Even when we miss the point of Christmas, and we all have, like we all have, and there'll be moments in the next couple days where my eyes will get so off of Christ in the midst of Christmas just with the other thing, and then we wake up on the 26th. How many of you have December 26th depression? You know what I'm talking about? You have December, because there's something about waking up on December 25th that is awesome. Adults admit it, it's still awesome. When, you, when your eyelids open on December 25th, you know immediately there is something unique about this day. And then, if you miss it, you, your, your eyes can open the next day. One day later, and like this, this like low grade just kind of like, oh, sets in. When you realize, man, now all we have to do is go clean up the wrapping paper and the cardboard boxes and, and figure out how to clean all this up, and everyone's scattering kind of back to where home is for them. We can be so easily let down when we're fixated and captivated on far less glorious things as, as if they are ultimately glorious. And so here's what I'm saying at this point in my life. When I get back from a vacation or something and it just didn't quite do what I thought it was going to do, I'm like, Lord, thank you for the letdown. Seriously. There's something for you. all know what I'm talking about, right? Man, those seven days went quick and I spent way more money than I had budgeted for, Right? And you have this letdown, like, thank you for the letdown. When the shine of the new car wears off and you find yourself quickly fixated on the next shiny object and you're just like, man, thank God for the letdown. Why am I saying this? Because he's reminding us that he is the glorious one. And when we experience the letdown as if we've attributed some ultimacy to something that isn't ultimate, he loves us so much that he'll say, let me, let me just give you a major letdown on that so that you will fix your eyes back vertical. The letdown is a gift from God. Why am I talking about this? Because there's something about the, the heavenly host with Jesus in the manger right inside the village limits, exclaiming glory to God in the highest. That every year when this rhythm of Christmas rolls around, I want to taste that glory. I want to taste that glory. I want everything our family does to, to, to live in the shadow of that glory. Here's what's cool. They don't just, they don't only say glory to God in the highest. They orient worship vertically, but then they acknowledge the absolute blessing that comes from the fact that the Savior King has been born for us here on earth. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what's the word? Peace. There's something just about the word that if you're like me, your heart like longs for that. Just hearing the word, peace. Isn't there something that you're like, please God, more of that. And on earth, peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. With the coming of Christ, there's glory to God in the highest. There's peace reigning in my heart. This Savior King being born is going to usher in peace. Scripture talks about it. But the question can be, and I think it's a very good question, if the birth of Christ brings about the opportunity for peace on earth, you watch the news lately? I'm confused. (laughs) Where's the peace? So what does this mean? Who's being talked about that will experience this peace? What does this peace look like presently, and what does this peace look like finally? It's important to note, and on earth, peace among those, it's, it's then, this peace is then qualified. It defines who's going to experience this peace. And on earth, peace among those with, with, with whom he is what? With whom he is... Open book test. Always an open book test here, I promise. With whom he is pleased. There's something so beautiful in what the heavenly hosts are exclaiming here. Those with whom God is pleased are those with whom he has a right relationship with now. None of us are smart enough or good enough or morally upright enough to work ourselves back into a right relationship with God. Those with whom God is pleased are those who have utterly surrendered in complete abandonment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Who have said, I need a savior. I'm broken in my sin. I'm helpless in my sin. My sin has separated me relationally from God. And believe what the Bible says, that whoever believes in Christ will have life. The moment someone believes, they're redeemed, they are justified, it means declared righteous, and they are now in right standing with God. The moment someone believes, they are indwelt with God's Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, what this Spirit bears, is love and joy and peace. Peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased is God's kingdom, God's way, God's rule, God's reign, taking root right here in our heart now. John 14, 27 says this, words of Jesus, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope, I love this verse, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This is peace taking residence in our heart. How? Because peace personified was born, laid in a manger, and this peace that was prophesied can happen the moment we truly know Christ. This is the offer to us of peace presently. And I recognize some of our hearts right now, our soul right now, it can be described with anything but peace. Our soul, for many of us here, can look like just water that is raging, so completely choppy. When Jesus has offered to us something that can calm the waters of our heart like glass, hear that illustration correctly. I did not say, come to Jesus and there will be no choppy water ever again in your life because your circumstances will be smooth sailing. Not at all. Come to Jesus, your life will still be very hard at times. An inward sense of peace that you don't even understand can happen in the midst of it because Christ dwells in you. So this is the offer of peace presently, but then here's something sweet. Jonas mentioned it as he teaches on it. What do we see throughout all of Scripture? One day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. To get all doctrinal and theological about it, I'll say this. It's going to be sweet. Not sweet. S-A-W. Sweet. And the war, the war with sin is going to be done. And peace. All of the ramifications that come from sin are going to be gone and peace. This is how this Savior King, who's laid in a manger, allows the heavenly host to exclaim, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And so because I recognize all different situations and circumstances walk into this room here today, for some of us, your emotions about the holidays coming are nothing but utter joy. And for some of us, you dread certain holidays coming because of something that may have happened in the past. My prayer for us is Colossians 3.15. That in the days to come, the peace of Christ would reign in your heart. Whether Wednesday morning of this week is something you can't wait for or whether Wednesday morning this week is going to be very hard, my prayer for you is that you will experience the peace of Christ reigning in your heart. The Savior's coming at Christmas brings glory to God in the highest and peace to our hearts. Church, stand with me. I want to pray for us. And I'll just say um, some practical things. I don't know if these will help or not. In the midst of the hurry of the next couple of days, um, in the midst of the fun yet chaos that ensues, in the midst of the volume that is no doubt going to 
escalate in your house with all the people gathering. Look for opportunities to just slow your heart down and take in the glory of it all. Parents of young kids, um, if you can do it, get up before them Wednesday morning, grab your coffee, stare at your tree lit up, and just remember what, is, what this is all about before the chaos ensues, ensues right? Empty nesters, just taking in adult kids, being back around the dinner table for a couple days. That's sweet. Amen? Just sit back in your chair in the midst of, like, your kids just laughing and cutting it up to you. Just sit back in your chair and just soak it in. Just throttle, like, like, let's just throttle it back for the next couple days. Worship our way through this. Not miss the glory of it all. Not miss the peace offered. Deal? Father, I pray for that. Um, I, I, it's remarkable what is said in these verses here. And Lord, we want to be people who um, mimic, who echo the heavenly host by saying, Lord, you're the one who is worthy of all glory. You are the highest God. There is no one like you. There's no one above you. Lord, you get all of the glory. Creation is shouting it. The heavenly hosts are shouting it. Lord, we want our lives to shout it. Help us to know what that looks like. Help us to praise you in word and in deed. Help us to conform our lives to what your word says so that you're being glorified by them. And then, oh God, I pray for your church, your people, would your peace reign in our hearts. We don't have to wander around trying to catch this ever-elusive peace thing. Lord, you give it to us by the power of your spirit. Would we rest in it? So God, get worship, get glory, get praise. As we all head our different ways and as the pace picks up and as it gets loud as we gather with family and friends, God, would you be glorified in all of it? Would you allow us to slow down enough to not lose sight of what exactly it is we're gathering to celebrate? Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.